0: Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. Today we're going to talk about 1408, from the year 2007. John Cusack plays a writer named Mike Enslin. He lives in California, and one day he gets a postcard from New York. It's a postcard from the Dolphin Hotel. Now on this postcard, it just has one sentence written on it. And that sentence is, don't enter 1408. It's not signed by anyone. It's a mystery. Who sent it? Now, Mike Enslin, is a writer and it's his job to visit hotels that are allegedly haunted what he does is he goes to these attractions these haunted attractions and he spends the night there and he writes about his experiences in these hotels and he is a cynical guy he does not believe in ghosts he goes to these hotels He reports what it's like to spend the night there and then he takes his his writings of all the different places that he's been to and he collects them and they get published in books about haunted hotels and his theory is that these hotels they're nothing special you know these little tiny hotels and these little bed and breakfast type places so if someone were to say this hotel is haunted, perhaps people who are drawn to that type of stuff might want to stay there. So claiming a hotel is haunted is good for business. And he gets invited to all types of places to write about, because these places know that if he writes about them, it's going to be good for business. I think even if he doesn't write a good review, even if he doesn't uh, see anything, uh, just by being mentioned, people want to see for themselves. So I guess these books are kind of like guides, you know. And I bet you know, going on a little you know side side thing here. Uh, I bet this. I bet this exists. There, there there's got to be such a thing as a haunted attractions B. people who like to visit haunted attractions and see people who write about them and guide them I bet but I bet there's websites you know I'm sure I'm sure there's a whole bunch of ways that you can figure out where to stay if you want to potentially see a, a ghost so he gets this postcard that says don't enter 1408 and he says challenge accepted <laughs> so he goes to new york and the thing is he used to live in new york he used to be married he still is married um he's no longer with his wife uh years ago their daughter died and he's so uh heartbroken over this that he i guess he just couldn't you know deal he couldn't um function (laughs) i guess and the marriage, so he he left his wife. They're not officially divorced, but they're separated. She still lives in New York. He moves to California, and going back to New York, not only does he have this job to think about, this this uh, hotel that he has to you know visit and write about whether or not it's haunted, but he's also got his own personal ghosts. He's got the memories of his daughter and his marriage. So that's something that looms on his mind when he gets to the hotel. The, uh, I don't know if he's the, I'm not sure who Sam Jackson plays. He plays a character named Gerald Owen. I, I don't remember if he's not the owner of the hotel, like the manager or I don't know, some higher up who pulls Mike aside and invites him into his office and tries to convince Mike to not stay in room 1408. He explains to him that 56 people have died in that room. And he's not (laughs) trying to keep him from staying in the room so much to save his life. But for selfish reasons, he claims it's that he doesn't want to clean up the mess. <laughs> so Mike thinks that this is all some sort of put on, you know, and he's really trying to oversell him on the concept that this is a haunted uh, room. You know, even this part of the experience being pulled into the boss's office and being told, you know, oh, please don't stay. You know, he tries to bribe him. You know, he tries to, um, says he can get him tickets to Knicks games. You know, he offers him a very expensive bottle of uh, booze, you know, anything to get him to change his mind. He wants to upgrade him to a, a better room. He says, no, he wants that room. So Mike goes up to the room and he enters the room and it just looks like an ordinary hotel room. And what happens is as he's examining the room, talking into his little microphone, taking notes for his story, explaining how unremarkable the room is, the clock radio goes off. It turns on by itself and it starts to play the song We've Only Just Begun by the Carpenters. What a great choice because of that sentence. We've only just begun, and then the clock changes its time. It changes it to six zero dot dot zero zero sixty minutes, and it starts to cl- uh, count down backwards. Mike was warned that no person who has ever stayed in that room has lasted more than an hour. So this clock is counting down to one hour. Like the clock is saying, you've only got one hour before you're dead, pal. We'll get you before this hour is done. And within the next hour, Mike goes through a whole bunch of stuff. He sees Ghosts of people who have ended their lives there in that room in the past years. Um, The room itself changes. um, Just all kinds of really scary things happen. And a lot of these things are trying to push Mike toward killing himself. I guess that's the goal of the room is to get Mike to end his own life. And one of the one of the ghosts, even though you know she didn't die in that room, one of the ghosts that that visits him is his own daughter. You know he has these like flashbacks to uh, when she was alive, so he's haunted by her as well. And you spend most of this movie in this room with this one character which could potentially be a boring movie when you just spend you know most of a movie with one person in one location but keep in mind there are ghosts so there are other actual people on screen there are flashbacks there's all kinds of things that are done to take Mike on all these different haunted journeys and I'm being careful I'm not going to spoil anything for you because I'm not convinced you've seen this movie. This is a movie that I know some of you have seen, but it's not as popular as I think that it deserves to be. I think it deserves a larger audience. So, you know, on the off chance that you haven't seen it and you'd like to see it, I'm, I'm not going to spoil any of the surprises because I, I think that it's an exciting movie. I think it's cool. I like it. Well, <laughs> Does he survive the the hour? The hour in the haunted hotel? I'm not gonna tell you. I actually want you to watch this movie. I watched this movie in October. This 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 episode was uh recorded and, and published in October of 2020, where I'm watching a whole bunch of horror movies like a bunch of other horror nerds are. And every time I revisit it, I like it a little more. This movie's from 2007. Yes, the aughts. (laughs) I think the aughts is one of the most forgotten decades for horror. Of course, the 80s is the most popular decade for horror movies, as well as it should be. So many films came out during that decade. And then you have your your fans of all the other decades, people who sing the praises of certain films, uh, people who love the 70s or the 90s. And then, of course, the last 10 years has given us these new breed of elevated horror films. But the odds seem to be remembered mostly for giving us remakes. Some of them good, some of them not good. But for the most part, I think people just don't think about the 2000s when they think about horror films. So there are a lot of movies that I think just kind of got forgotten. And this is one of them, which is funny because it's an adaptation of a Stephen King story. And Stephen King is such a popular writer that just about anything he's done should attract an audience, but I don't think it's that way anymore. I think his name still carries a lot of weight, and there's definitely your die-hard Stephen King fans who'll watch anything that has his name, his name attached to it, but we've definitely reached a point in history where there are a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Maybe there was a time where you could have seen them all. I think that time would have been the 80s. <laughs> you had a tighter control of what you saw because there was less there were a lot but there was less of them out there now there's a whole bunch because there's also movies that were made straight to video there are Stephen King adaptations I've never even heard of both the movie or the story it's based on and maybe this is one of them uh, I never read 1408 for the record because I, I did some digging around uh, I found out Originally, it was published in an audio book called Blood and Smoke. Blood and Smoke was a, a a compilation of short stories, but specifically stories that were recordings, or, or, or this compilation was recordings of Stephen King reading short stories that he's written. And at the time, uh, the claim was that this was your only, and it was true at the time, I guess, that this was the only way that you would experience these stories as if you bought blood and smoke. But eventually, um, this particular story, 1408, did appear in published form in a short story compilation book called Everything's Eventual. And that would be fun to pick up. I really have dropped the ball with reading Stephen King. I touched upon my relationship with Stephen King in a past episode. This is not the first episode of my podcast that I've done on a Stephen King movie. As you may recall, I did an episode on the film Misery, which is interesting. And and, and I'm going to admit it's a coincidence because the coincidence being that what these two movies have in common is that the protagonist of the film is a writer. Now Misery of James Caan, And in 1408, we have John Cusack. John Cusack has been in other films that were adapted by or uh, adapted of Stephen King's stories. Uh, the first one being Stand By Me. Which uh, I think it's funny because like Stand By Me is one of those movies that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of Stephen King. When they think of that movie. I mean, of course, Stephen King fans do. But I bet there's a bunch of people who didn't even know that that's adapted. Uh, it's an adaptation of a Stephen King story called The Body. And John Cusack's in that. Not a lot, but he's in a, a little. And then he's also in a film called Cell. Cell. Not The Cell. There is a movie called The Cell. (laughs) That's a totally different movie with Jennifer Lopez. I like that movie. That's a cool movie. But a movie simply called Cell, which coincidentally also stars Samuel L. Jackson. So John Cusack and Sam Jackson are in this movie and they're in Cell. And this part's not a coincidence. When I watched 1408, I did it in a double feature that night with the film cell specifically because I knew that both John and Sam were in the movie together again. And because it was an adaptation of a Stephen King story, actually a Stephen King story that I've read. I actually own the novel novel for cell cells. Okay. (laughs) A lot of people will tell you it's bad. I thought it was fine. It was like a watered down version of the story, but I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of adaptations are that, you know? How can you successfully tell a a book that is like hundreds of pages long that in your mind would go on for hours and hours and hours. You have to like bring it down to like a 90 minute story. It's difficult, it's challenging. That's why a lot of these Stephen King stories work well as a mini series or, or television series, but that's also why I think you should judge them differently. Judge them as a book and judge them as a movie. I think that you have the ability to enjoy them as both a movie and a book. For the record, on a side note, John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson have worked together in one other film. It's a film called Chirac. It's a Spike Lee joint, and I haven't seen it, but I have seen the trailer for it. Gosh, I really want to see that movie. It's an original film made for Amazon Prime, so it's a Prime original. Check it out if you are a fan of that uh, trifecta of people. Cusack, Jackson, and Lee. Those are some talented cats right there. The part of Mike Enslin that John Cusack plays was originally not meant for him. It was meant for Keanu Reeves. Uh, I touch upon this in other episodes, the concept that when we watch a movie, especially movies that are like really uh, famous movies that have been in our lives for so long, it's very difficult to picture other people in those roles. Maybe with a movie that you're less familiar with, it's easier to picture people other than the person that you got in the movie in that role. I guess I can kind of sort of picture Keanu Reeves in the role, but not really. I'm familiar. I mean, we are we are all familiar with Keanu Reeves and his style of acting, and I think there's definitely a difference with the mannerisms and the whole, like, presence of Keanu Reeves versus John Cusack. I like John Cusack. I think he's great. He's, he's, he's an actor that has a large body of work, and yet when I think of John Cusack... I think of the 80s, which I guess is unfair to him because he never stopped working. But when I compose a list in my mind of all the movies that I like that have John Cusack, a lot, I mean, there's some movies here and there scattered throughout his filmography from different years post-80s, but um, most of them, most of them are from the 80s. and, And I've seen most of his movies that he's made in the 80s he's one of those guys that when I see him on screen even before I get to know the character he's playing I tend to immediately trust him partly it's because of characters he's played already in the past and how I feel about those characters and part of it's just I don't know it's just something about his face and his voice and his mannerisms there's something about him that just makes him so trustworthy And I think he should do more horror films. Not just because, selfishly, I'm a horror fan and I want to see actors that I like in more horror films, but because I think he fits right in. In that, with horror movies, you have characters that you're putting in danger. And if you as the audience don't care Whether or not this person lives or dies or gets out of this predicament safely, then I guess whatever your relationship with the movie is, is going to be different, you know, than if you do care. And John Cusack's one of those people that I find that when I see him, I immediately care. I wish him the best. I want his, and not just in horror film, in any movie, I find myself invested much more so than your average Joe, you know? So he hasn't been in a lot of horror films. He was in a movie called Identity, which is kind of a horror film. Then he was in a movie called The Raven, which I've not seen. I've seen Identity. I've never seen The Raven. The Raven is based on Edgar Allan Poe. I think John Cusack plays Edgar Allan Poe in The Raven, but it's not not based on the story, The Raven. (laughs) I think it's just a story that exists. I guess what right do I have to describe a story, a movie I've never seen? I guess the point is, I don't know if it's a horror film or not. I saw the trailer once a long time ago. It kind of sort of looked like a horror film, but I have a feeling it's not. I like this movie. I like that this movie can be exciting and frightening without being gory. Uh, <laughs> there's, I think I'm versatile with my appreciation of horror films. I'm willing to flex with and bend with what each horror film is trying to accomplish. I definitely know that there's people who want the same thing every time and one of those things like there's there's definitely a lot of horror fans out there who need all of their horror films to be gory graphically violent i guess those are called gore hounds <laughs> i don't get that i mean, i like it i appreciate special effects especially practical special effects so that's why gory films from the 80s are especially amazing and the 70s but I think it's stupid to think that a movie has to be gory in order to be scary. In fact, I rarely associate gore with scary. You know, it's, it's gross. It, 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 it grosses you out if, if you have it in you to be grossed out. But I don't necessarily think it's scary. I think you can be scary without being gory. This movie is not graphically violent. And yet I think it creates tension very well. I mean, you go into this this time that Mike spends in 1408 knowing that this room is warning him that he's going to die within the hour. And you have this visual reminder that he's going to die with the clock radio counting down backwards. Like this is how much time you have to live. This is how much time you have with your life. That's that. If you, you just separate that concept from the movie itself, that concept is just terrifying. (laughs) Could you imagine any situation where you knew Or at least believed that you had an hour to live. Like people get bad news all the time. They go to the doctor and they find out, well, you have six months to live. And then you have to live the next six months knowing that supposedly after six months, you're going to die. Well, imagine if you were told you've got one hour to live. I mean, that's way more intense. That is... (laughs) that's awful. The room one four zero eight 1408. If you add one plus four plus zero plus eight, you, it equals 13. And in hotel rooms, oh, excuse me in in hotels, <laughs> they're superstitious. And there's no 13th floor. So the 14th floor is actually 13th floor. So 13's always been like an unlucky, spooky number, right? So you got the 13th floor, get the 13th room, 1 plus 4, plus 0, plus 8 equals 13. There you go. Clever title, 1408. While Mike is staying the night in room 1408. You'll notice, and this may not be something that you'd notice. I'm going to reveal this to you. (laughs) Maybe when you watch this, if this is a first time watcher, maybe you're revisiting it, keep this in mind the next time. And it's, it's very impressive. Um, Mike goes through while staying in this room, denial and then anger, and then depression and then bargaining, and finally acceptance that he's going to die. These are the five stages of grief. I think that's very clever. (laughs) This is the kind of horror film that you can watch with people who don't want to see things that are too intense. And I'm aware that there's a lot of people out there who have an interest in horror films or like horror films that might have other people in their lives, like family members or friends, who are in their immediate (laughs) vicinity when they're watching movies. And sometimes you have to or want to um, negotiate what you watch so that you don't offend the people around you and sometimes those people around you might have a curiosity or an interest to explore your world if your world is horror they are like i i want to check out horror but i'm not ready yet i don't want to just dive in and be traumatized so something that a lot of people get asked a lot who are horror fans is what do you show someone who's interested, but doesn't want to get traumatized. You want to like ease them into the world of horror. And it's, I mean, it's a popular question. There's a million answers, I guess, even though actually (laughs) there isn't a million answers. I think it's a much shorter list. (laughs) There's a handful. How about that? Is that fair? There's a handful of answers that you can give of movies that, eases you into the world i think 1408 is perfect perfect movie to introduce someone to horror because it's not gory so you're not really going to offend their senses that much then there's no graphic violence um if you're watching with kids i mean there's no nudity uh the swearing i don't even remember is that a big deal anymore <laughs> it's very light as far as i recall but but it's still exciting, still tense, still feels like you're watching a horror film. You don't feel ripped off. You definitely feel like you've experienced a horror film. And I think that during this Halloween season, this spooky movie season, this is a good movie to watch with the family or with your friends that aren't as experienced as you are with horror films. So why not? And plus, you know, some people for some reason don't like old movies. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I disagree with that that concept. But I'm just aware that they exist. So at least with the year 2007, it's kind of old, but it's not ancient. So I'd say this is a movie that you should see if you like horror. And this is a movie that you could watch with people who might want to be getting into horror. Uh, before I end this, I just want to mention that my favorite scene in this entire movie is not even a horror scene. And that's a ce- the scene where Mike Enslin and Gerald Olin, these are the characters put by John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson, are in Sam Jackson's office. And Sam Jackson is trying to bargain with him to not stay in the room. And that scene is not scary. And yet that's my favorite scene in the whole movie, simply because you have two great actors doing great acting. There you go. Uh, by the way, this movie has multiple endings. I have to admit, I've only seen one ending, the theatrical ending. I have the basic DVD. Uh, (laughs) what can I say? I want the Blu-ray. I want lots of Blu-rays, but... You know, money doesn't grow on trees. But apparently there's multiple endings if you get special editions on Blu-ray. And I got myself this is a basic DVD. (laughs) But I'm not complaining because it's still really good. Well, thank you for spending time with me. I hope you had fun talking with your old haunted pal about a haunted movie. Next week we'll talk about another movie. And I hope you join me for that. Until next time, uh, stay haunted. Aloha.